Hey, folks, I'm Tom. KJ here. You've heard this before, but we're new and improved now, and so is the Dunlap Champions Club. It's back for another year. You know that. By now, if you have not been in there, I don't know what you've been doing, but we will remind you, this is always the best time to test drive. If you want to check it out, we have the spring game coming up April 18th, followed by a concert. Uh, good pricing to get in and see what you've been missing. A reserved chairback seat, access to indoor air-conditioned areas, always a good thing. All-inclusive food and soft drinks starting two hours before kickoff. Access, I love this part, to adult beverages and more. Funny that you would be the one to bring that up. Uh, the home schedule this year, obviously, when we get to the, the fall portion, uh, the, the meat of the actual football season, I guess I should say. Clemson and Florida are on the docket. Pitt coming to town for basically the first time since uh, since KJ played. Well, I guess shortly after you uh should we say retired? Finished. I, I wish finished. That's good. Finished. Anyway, uh, as far as the spring game goes, again, 5 o'clock kick on April 18th. And if you're a, a booster member already, a, a ticket holder in the Dunlap Champions Club, it's just 60 bucks to get in for that. Uh, if not, $80. But either way, uh, particularly if you're general public and have not sampled the Dunlap Champions Club, Champions Club it's the best way to do it. You Six, can schedule a private tour as well. So if you don't want to, if you want to buy after seeing, you can go in, take a good look, walk around, see what's going on. It's a big place, twenty thousand square feet of space, uh, can handle up to five hundred folks. If you've got other plans for other types of events that you want to schedule, it's worth the visit. Six four four eighteen thirty is the number to call. Now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith is in my favorite place in the world, also known as Tobacco Road. How are you, Keith? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Greensboro sends its greetings. Have you noticed that over the last few years since the league listened to me, I didn't have to go on those rants about moving the tournament around to real cities? I mean, I'm okay I'm with wa- it. I'm waiting for the entire NCAA to allow spring games to be played amongst uh, teams and for the season to be backed up a week so that we get two bye weeks that's the power and influence one mr block has well and front row knolls collectively but anyway there was a time when we begged and pleaded for them to move this thing to new york and move it around they finally did and and i'm okay with returning to greensboro i will say this though because if you've not been to the acc tournament and lots of folks haven't and you may not have been to it in greensboro or in the state of north carolina which is I talked about by the old guard in the acc is uh if you're at uh you know amen corner in augusta just what is the atmosphere like? I, I still feel like we're outsiders as schools that weren't originally ACC members, but kind of paint a picture for us. You've been there plenty of times. Well, there's a little bit of a bias, and obviously the Big Four think that they, they own everything, and for the longest period of time they did. But I, I think I'm going to embrace Coach Hamilton's vernacular when he talks about there's the blue bloods and then there's the new bloods. And in Florida State being the number one seed in the tournament is now a new blood. Uh, as uh, Coach Hamilton likes to say, a program of significance. And while there may be some bias that carries over from the old guard, the rest of the nation understands that uh, this is a 15-team league and, and there's some other schools in here other than Tobacco Road. Has, has it felt different to walk around with that Florida State logo on your on your chest <laughs> as the top seed? I, I, I am being greeted by a lot of people I don't know. well before we talk tournament here and keith is at the acc tournament again uh where he will be calling the action with gino over the next few days for florida state what was saturday like for you as you watched that game unfold which was the least suspenseful suspenseful game florida state's played just about all year certainly in conference well Uh, what became suspenseful about it tommy is we had gotten word because obviously we were in touch with the studio and dave pulaski was keeping us updated on the uh Virginia Louisville score. So we knew that uh, Louisville had lost probably 10 or 15 minutes before it was announced to the crowd. And so Gene and I are there understanding the now increased significance. And certainly Florida State had a lead, and maybe most would say the game was never in doubt. But we're sitting there for a period of time feeling like we're the only ones with inside information and can't wait to tell everyone else. And then when that score was posted up on the on the board uh and and the crowd began to understand what could possibly be taking place 
it, it was a very, very special moment. And I'll be honest with you, I, I got emotional. Uh, Gene said he kind of lost his breath um, because, you know, this is the first time ever in ACC history that Florida State had the opportunity and then took advantage of the opportunity to win the regular season title. And it was it was very, very special. Very, very special. The fact that Louisville lost made it all the more exhilarating, but they were going to do that ceremony even in the case of a shared title, weren't they, at that point? I would suspect. I, I didn't talk to anyone about, you know, what the contingency plans were, but the way it worked out with Louisville losing made that uh, 15, 20, 25 minutes after the game very, very enjoyable. Nobody left. I mean, I'm, I'm sure a handful of people left, but 20 minutes after the ball game, there were still 11,000 people in the arena. It was a great moment, great season for Florida State basketball. Regardless of what happens from here on out, it's been an awfully fun ride to turn over the roster the way you did, and yet here you go, you're the top seed going into March. And I hate to go this route, Keith, but the overwhelming story right now is not basketball, it's coronavirus and what does the future look like. And in disclosure, you and I are taping this show, so again, by the time folks listen, it'll be six or seven hours old and there may be new news. But the ACC issued a statement yesterday that they're going to play the tournament. We know that. They played games last night. They're playing games right now, and, and you're at the arena. And I guess other than that, we just see how this unfolds, and they keep plowing forward. The, the, the way I think this is going to unfold is it's going to be uh, like a domino effect. If or when there's significant information that indicates without question it's in the public's best interest, to change some things, whether that's be the cancellation of, of the entire tournament, which I don't suspect will happen, or whether it's playing games without people in the stands, which probably is likely to maybe happen, to it's, it's okay, we can continue doing it the way we're doing it, and we'll play them like we are, which is what I hope might happen. We won't know any of that until the last minute, and then once decisions start being made then it'll be a ripple effect and and there'll be a lot of people making a lot of decisions in a short period of time i really feel like personally that the ncaa tournament's going to be end up being played in front of empty arenas uh now i don't know that's speculation i have a hard time seeing how they would just cancel the whole thing given the economics of it but i understand we're talking about a pandemic here but it really feels like we might get to a position of you're just going to play in gyms and uh you'll be there but not many other folks and that, that is a very real possibility. I think we all hope that it doesn't come to that, A, because we want to see the games in, in the environment that we like, but more importantly, that the uh, quote-unquote virus doesn't continue to spread at any accelerated rate. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a very fluid situation. It's a day-to-day, almost hour-to-hour type of thing. And, uh, you know, we're just going to have to remain flexible. And, and as I say, you know, I learned this term a long time ago, and I never really appreciated it until as I got older. But, you know, when a situation is fluid, that means you really don't know what's going to happen. There's more than two or three things that can happen, and you just got to be prepared for any or all of them when they do happen. And make the best decision at the time based on the information you have, as you like to say. Exactly. I am going to throw this out here, and I want to claim this for when it, if and when it happens. And I'll let Madison Social go ahead and make the shirts. But if they cancel the NCAA tournament, we are claiming a national championship, UC, uh, UF, uh, University of Central Florida football style. We're just going to claim it. We're going to make shirts. We're going to pay the coaches their bonuses. We're going to get the players rings, and we're going to parade around as 2020 national champs. Are you with me, Keith? I'm with you. I got no problem with it, and I wear a size 11 ring. Yeah, and Madso will get that going because I'm. T- this is this is where you feel like, and this is looking at it from a completely Florida State garnet and gold point of view. You're thinking of all the years that we're going to have this to deal with. It's when Florida State has its best basketball team since the early 1970s, and we might cancel the tournament. We can't have that happen. We got to play this. Thing. Not at all. Not at all. We've got to stand up for ourselves. By the way, pro tip from Madison Social. I'm reading a direct tweet from uh, our good friends out there. Uh, wash your hands for 20 seconds and sing the fight song starting at the battles and she's great and you are now a clean person so there's a good tip when you're washing your hand you don't have to say the alphabet so the the fight song replaces happy birthday or or the alphabet just sing half the fight song and we'll know that you have uh, washed your hands well that's from uh, the fine folks at uh, madison social by the way uh for tomorrow's florida state basketball game they've got all kinds of specials going on if you uh 
choose to uh, inform your boss you're taking a very long lunch. You have a lunch meeting that might take two hours, depending on the whistle, two hours, ten minutes. Uh, Madison Social is the place to go. Keith, the all-ACC teams were out. Congratulations to Leonard. There seemed to be a little bit of a push for, for Bennett at the end, so I'm glad that that didn't really come to fruition. They got it right by naming Ham the coach of the year for the third time. Were you surprised at all about any of the individual player honors and where they fell? Not really, because you've got to remember, when, when you're talking about Trent and, and you're talking about uh, Vassell and, and Patrick and those guys, you know, none of those are 20-point scores. None of those are 11-rebound-a-game guys. Uh, because Florida State is so deep and because Leonard plays 11 and 12 and 13 and sometimes as many as 17, they just don't have the individual numbers. So I was pleased that we were represented on the second team. Uh, I really think that uh, folks began to understand the worth of uh, Patrick Williams, particularly the last 10 or 12 ball games of the year and him winning the sixth man. And I understand that there's some carryover with the defending national champions and, and Tony Bennett, uh, but Leonard deserved this award, and I think everyone recognizes it, and, and I think he's been very humbled by it. You know, he's not a guy that gets into individual accolades, but uh, he was a very, very proud head coach after the game on Saturday. And uh, though he might not admit it publicly, I think he was very, very pleased to be recognized uh, as the ACC head, head coach of the year. Yeah, I think you're right on uh, about that. They got Ham right. Trent Trent should have been defensive player of the year, I would think, over Trey Jones, or could, certainly could have been. I don't think the media really examined those numbers too closely because Trent's better across the board there. But in terms of the second team, I, I get it. Plus, there is this upside, Keith. When Chuck Walsh puts together the announcement in, in a few weeks of Devin Vassell announcing that he's returning for his sophomore year, the quote will say, because it's always been a dream of mine to be a second-team All-ACC player in consecutive years. <laughs> how's, well, that, how's that for let some shade? If and when Devin Vassell comes back, he, he might be in consideration for player of the year in addition to anything related to all ACC if he makes the same kind of improvement next year as he made this year compared to last year. I hear you. I was just throwing a little shade there on the way that whole process works. I don't expect Devin to come back. I don't expect Patrick to come back, though I am holding out a little bit more hope on Patrick since he's just one year removed from high school. But... Who knows? We'll see where that shakes out. What are your thoughts about this tournament? I mean, obviously you're there. You want to win the thing. As we speak, you don't, we don't know if it's going to be Miami or Clemson, but then after that it's likely Duke, and then after that you get Louisville or Virginia or maybe the Tar Heels if they make some incredible run. Um, I, you know, I'm not so concerned about national seeding. I, I guess it's more about you're there now. Why not win the whole damn thing? I think that's the overriding thing, and I think Florida State, even though they won't talk about it publicly, I think the players would like to get Clemson another shot at Clemson. They were not happy with the way that defeat went down in Little John, and I think they'd like another shot at Duke on a neutral court in a game which hopefully they would shoot better. And if they were to make it to Saturday, you know, well, then it doesn't matter if it's Louisville or anybody else. You've got a chance to win an ACC championship in addition to the regular season crown. So I think there's a lot to play for. I think these kids are motivated. I'll be very, very shocked if they don't play well. And I think it lines up for both reasons on the court and you know the redemption psychological reasons that you may be able to get back to a couple of uh, a couple of teams that that got your number uh, on, on the way to an ACC championship. And I think I think it's set up very nicely. Now they just have to go out and perform and execute. I agree with you. I'd rather see Clemson and Duke. I tell you, we said at the time, give me Duke on a neutral court. Now, this will not be a neutral court. You're in Greensboro, but it's more neutral than what Cameron is. Correct. And I'd rather not see Louisville for a third time. Although the flip side of that, it's tough to beat a good time three times, is is if you've overwhelmed them twice in a row, maybe you're just flat out better. Um, but let's, you know, we'll worry about Saturday night, Saturday night, and, and let's get through the first game and, and go from there. I do, I, w- I will say this. It, it's It's not... It doesn't seem like that big a deal, but when you consider the depth of Florida State, 
you know, FSU has not been in a position to be the top seed and get the extra six-hour recovery time, which doesn't seem like that much, but there's a reason the top seed is playing at lunchtime tomorrow. They get oh, more no they get no more time to recover before the next game, and that makes a difference as you go on, especially for a team as, as deep as Florida State. I mean, it, whether they get Clemson or Miami, uh, you know, they're already fresher and deeper because those teams have played, and it just accumulates as that tournament goes on. Well, as we said, everything is set up correctly. Now you just got to go out and execute and win. That about sums it up. Keith, I will chat with you later on in the show. We're going to turn our attention to football. Our Osceola insider Patrick Burnham joins us next. Uh, we've had a couple of practices in the fold in the Mike Norvell era, and Patrick will break it all down for us right after this on Front Row Knowles. You let your mind Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back. Front Row Knowles. KJ gets the segment off. We're going to turn our attention to football. Keith, of course, is at the ACC basketball tournament. Florida State will play tomorrow around lunchtime many people will be taking that long extended break many people have been out on the football field not super early but early enough compared to afternoon practices anyway one of them is our osceola insider this week patrick burnham who joins us patrick how are you great Tom. how are you i am doing well football's going on the osceola by the way more information online at the osceola.com i encourage you to subscribe you will get insight like you're about to hear from patrick uh, jerry kutz has had some great stuff bob ferrante does good work and uh, of course you guys cover recruiting very well also so initial impressions there's been two open practices and kudos to coach norvell by the way because he's been very open and made his players and his staff incredibly available it's it's like taking me back 25 years or so to how coach bowden was in that era prior to social media but general impressions when you got out there and you'd been on the field i don't know 15 minutes on saturday for that first practice patrick uh continue to be impressed every day that i go out cover the program i you know did not know what to expect i'd known of coach norval from uh his time at Pitt when I was working at University of South Florida and we played them and, uh, you know, was really interested in watching his staff uh, interact with the players, how they coach, and uh, very impressed so far. He had mentioned when he was first hired uh, in one of his first two or three press conferences that he would never waste the players' time, not one rep would be wasted, not one minute would be uh, wasted, and through two days, that has certainly uh, proved itself to be true. Uh, one of the first things I noticed is they go through this static stretch period when we're first allowed into the practice. Uh, you know, the skill players on offense are carrying footballs with them during the static stretch, and as they go up and down the field, you know, you got coaches and graduate assistants trying to, you know, make sure that they've got that ball high and tight. Uh, and that and it started. The details start at the beginning of practice, and they do not end to the very um, end of practice. So, yes, I have been uh, continue to be very impressed with what he and his staff are doing. As many have chronicled, many in the media anyway, when you have this conversation, you know it's easy to point back to the last staff, and I don't really want to point you know rear view on that and and what's drastically different. So, I'm more interested in. You know, if you think about any of us who have a job and you get a new boss, everybody's minding your P's and Q's a little bit more until you figure out, you know, well, okay, the new boss is okay with this, but not good with this. And you kind of find that sweet spot, right? That's human nature. So we're in that area right now where it's a new sheriff in town and everybody ought to be paying attention. But I'm just curious, how receptive are the players at this point? Because this has been drastically different than where, frankly, it's been the last three years going back to Jimbo's last year. Well, you know, to use uh, something that Coach Fuller said yesterday post-practice, right now the care factor by the players is high. They care. Uh, the, the practices are high-spirited. There's a lot of enthusiasm. I do not recall the competition level in practice being as high as it is right now. Now, we do not have a, as big a window to 
watch last year as we do now. But certainly, uh, you know, you mentioned going back in time 25 years ago. Uh, you know, this is these practices are run uh, in a way that more of a way that I have been accustomed to being around my whole life. Uh, whether it's growing up as a coach's son or working in college football myself, the intensity level, the attention to detail, all of those things do take me back a little bit. And I think I told you before the call, I just happened to go over and watch uh, linebacker coach Chris Marr put his linebackers through fundamental drills uh, day one. And, you know, I try not to bring up my father's name very much, and I don't like making comparisons, but if I had closed my eyes and just listened to the words and, then you open your eyes and he's drips in sweat. It's 45 degrees and we're four periods into practice. You know, it kind of reminded me of watching my father coach spring drills or football when he was at Florida State or anywhere he's coached, really. So, you know, I can I was very impressed with the amount of detail. That these, and they don't miss very much. And, uh, you mentioned that sweet spot. Um, based on what I've seen uh, for the first two days, uh, these coaches are on top of just about every little thing. I mean, they are really stressing the details, and they are fanatical. Uh, everything is either – everything is a coachable moment with this staff. They're either reinforcing or correcting on a uh, play-by-play basis or a rep-by-rep basis. Yeah, and expanding on that, really what I mean is you either get in the boat or you get out of the way. So if you find out that – you know, practice starts at nine and really that means you need to, it would behoove you to be on the field at 855. Well, you better be out there at 850. You know what I mean? I mean, you just figure out whatever that is and then you adhere to it. If you're, if you're bought into what's going on. Yeah. I I have not seen, uh, I have not seen any evidence that uh, on the practice field, the kids are not buying in. I have not seen anybody straggle in late. I have not seen anybody walk from one drill to the next. And like I said, the, the enthusiasm of the kids, at least in the first two days, has been very good. To be fair, on the one hand, this is more difficult than what they've been through. But on the other hand, they welcome this, don't they? I mean, they want to be the best they can be. And frankly, if you look at the records of the last couple of years and we're just going to excuse it as, well, it was on the coaching. Well, now if we're going to say the coaching is better, at some point it's on the players, right? So it's it would behoove them to listen and get better as well. Yes, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I think these kids came to Florida State when they signed with Florida State, whether it was with Jimbo or with Willie, they expected to come here and win and they haven't done it. And, you know, I think we've, we talked in the past last year, at some, at some point it does become about the players wanting to get it done and banding together and making sure that, hey, we are, we're, we're not going to lose this game. We're going to go out and find a way to win this game or, or in this case, win the day on the practice field. Yes, at some point it certainly comes down to the, the kids and want to get the job done. I want to be clear when we have these conversations because when you're in March and April, May, June, July, August, it's all uh, glass half full time and everybody gets optimistic about what the season's going to look like. You know, I know, I think most of us are aware that getting back to where Florida State ultimately wants to be is not a one-year deal. Personally, what I want to see is just taking the parts, whatever level they're at, and based on star ranking, they're not at the same level as Clemson and the teams that are competing for national titles right now. But whatever that level is, let's take it and let's play better than the sum of the parts because it's been several years, probably five years, maybe six since we've seen that. Would you agree? I do. And, you know, Coach Norvell has talked about maximizing our, his the team's potential. Whatever the team's potential is, he wants to maximize it. And I think they're doing the, the, the taking the necessary steps to do that. Uh, and, you know, of course, and you're right, uh, you know, I wrote an article Friday before they started spring practice about the fact that spring is my favorite time of the year. No matter what happened the year before, you always hope you're in spring when the, the days get warmer, you're coming out of winter, uh, you know, you have a little bit more pep in your step and you have a little bit more um, optimism about the future. And I think that's, I think that only, not only applies to individuals, but in this case, the FSU football program, we've all got a kind of a uh, case of spring fever with the football program right now. We're all excited. Uh, there's a renewed energy, a renewed enthusiasm, but yes, uh, you know, there we're, you know, the rubber's going to meet the road in September and, you know, there's, you know, there's going to have to be significant improvement uh, on the win loss record to make everybody happy. Uh, but you certainly got to. There's it's, there's steps to getting there, as you've alluded to, and um, 
you know, I, I, but I, I do think that, uh, you know, there's some things that positions that, you know, got to be addressed and uh, some realities that'll set in, but certainly uh, I think that, you know, spring has gotten everyone re-energized and um, at least hopeful for the future. It's like baseball spring training. Hope springs inter- eternal. Everybody's got a chance right. when you're in this phase. Yeah, we'll talk individual players in our in our next segment and what you've seen through a couple of practices. But you mentioned Chris Marv. What else have you seen from any of the assistants, whether it's coordinators or not? Whether it was just something they taught, or the way that they teach, or the way that they interact with players, what else has jumped out at you, and from whom? Well, you know, I'll start at the top. You know, Coach Norvell is everywhere on that practice field. He is uh, correcting. He is encouraging. He is actively involved. Uh, when they go to a special teams drill, he's over there working with the, uh, Coach JP and the special teams guys. He goes from the offense to defensive field. Uh, then, of course, you know they. They uh, all are fanatical about detail. They are all coaching every single play. I mean, that is the one thing that I have noticed. Doesn't matter who the coach is, as I've said or as I said earlier, uh, everything is a teaching point, right? They are they are either positive reinforcement or there's some kind of correction. Uh, but certainly have been impressed. Uh, you know, I've been moving around the practice fields, uh, so I you know I haven't spent a ton of time with any one coach, but uh, certainly. Uh, have been impressed with the amount of detail and the energy level of all the coaches on the staff. What about the synergy among the coaches? Because for a group that got assembled that really hasn't worked together, I mean, some of them have worked together, but you know, this is not what your dad worked with where it was the same guys for two decades. Uh, you know, so there's a learning curve there for the coaches too. And, uh, and part of that's got to happen in real time on the field. They can talk about it and plan out the practices, but you really don't know until you get at it in this scenario. What have you seen there with, in terms of synergy with coaches? Uh, they, you know, they seem to be on the same page. Obviously communication will take some time and, you know, there'll be some, you know, some of the coaches are learning coach Adam Fuller's defense for the first time, you know, Odell's never coached in it. And, uh, I, I believe, uh, Neither has Chris Marv. So those guys are learning exactly how Coach Fuller and Coach Norvell want things installed and the, the nuances of the defense. And, you know, they are building their own relationships, not only with the coaches, uh, internally with the coaches, but also the coaches are still building a relationship with the players on the field and in the staff room. So, they're, you know, the communication will only get better. The understanding of both the offensive and defensive schemes will only continue to get better, not only from coach to coach, but coach to player. Um, you know, so uh, I think that that's something that there are, as relationships get the longer a relationship lasts, the better you know somebody, right? Uh, you know what makes them tick, both uh, whether it's a coach to a coach or whether it's a coach to a player. You know, but you get a better understanding of what's expected and uh, what you uh, can expect to get in return. Final thought as we wrap up talking about the coaches again, we'll hit players next segment. And this is more practices in general. I know, you know, there hasn't been music out there. Is there anything they're doing uh, that seems markedly different, i.e. you haven't seen it on a – I guess I'll ask it two ways. One, you're seeing – you know, there's a drill back that, you know, this is fundamental and this is what we used to do back in the dynasty days. Or the other side, you know, I've never seen anybody do this before. That's interesting, and now I get why they're doing it. Anything jump out at you in that regard? Well, uh, I've never seen the ball security drills to start to stretch. That's different. And, again, it goes back to the, you know, he's not going to waste one single minute. He's getting he's getting the players stretched and getting them technic- fundamentally and technically sound in ball, ball handling. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, he does type in uh, crowd noise during the team period, which I have never seen in spring practice. And, uh, you know, I'm assuming that is done for so the offense knows how to communicate. Uh whether it be overcrowd noise vocally or maybe even using hand signals. Uh, I have not seen a whole lot of hand signals, and it's not tremendously loud, but that's the first time I've ever seen uh, crowd noise piped in in the spring, and I think that's just getting them, you know, helping getting them prepared for what they're going to face during the season. Good stuff. Patrick Burnham, our Osceola insider. Stay tuned because when we come back, Patrick is going to name all 22 starters for game one against <laughs> West Virginia and Atlanta. That's up next right here on Front Row Knowles.
Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Back on Front Row Knowles, there's so much football to discuss. We're going to keep Patrick Burnham on for another segment, which makes you our Osceola insider and our Osceola outsider this week. So congratulations. You've got you got both roles. Uh, I was being facetious, obviously, when I said before the break that you would name all 22 starters. Uh, we all know, especially if you've been around it, when you get out there at spring, you got to pull out the roster because there's guys you're not quite sure who that is. I mean, you got anybody that, that's got any kind of injury that needed surgical cleanup is sitting out. you got the freshmen aren't here yet most of them so you know the depth chart stuff and and all that will get weeded out as we get much closer to the kickoff against West Virginia um but well and let me continue before I ask you about a specific player I did want to say this related to to Norvell and being open I've heard a lot of media particularly uh you know Jeff and Ira and Corey have talked about the access is so great because it allows them to tell the stories of the players to the fans. And there's no question it's great for the media and, and for the fans to get a better insight into who these players and coaches are. But I think, and I'm interested your thought on this, I think it's a, it's a, uh, it's a service to the players to, to make them available to the media. Now, they're not always going to say the right thing or the smartest thing. Some of them are going to make, are, are going to screw some up and say something they should have, but it's a learning experience. It's a coaching experience. And frankly, it's the way the real world is. And when you shelter them and you never make them available, they don't get that chance. So, uh, and, you know, and again, back when Bobby was coaching, it was a different era. It was pre-social media. The locker room was still open. You could literally talk to anybody at any point. Um, and sometimes that didn't read well in the paper, but ultimately the player got a chance to learn and grow from, from that lesson. Yeah, uh, he, and Coach Norvell has mentioned that several times, that he wants these kids to get comfortable in front of the media. They are going to be asked questions after a game. Uh, you know, they, they make certain players available. And just like being in front of the media is just like playing in front of a crowd. you got to practice before you can do it. And, you know, to get them comfortable uh, with the media through the practice, spring practice period and through two days will ultimately benefit them when they get in front, you know, take the tougher questions. Uh, coming after a game and and that's a key too uh you know you got to face the music so to speak not just when you score three touchdowns but when you miss the kick or you don't make the throw or you drop the pass all right so let, yeah. let's get, let, let's get to on the field stuff um you know who's who's caught your eye so far or, or, or you know what stood out and I'll, that's wide open so you can pick whatever position you want with to start well you know obviously i've you know i've watched the offensive line a little bit you know i'm really looking forward to seeing how they progress over the uh 15 practice periods for spring. And, uh, you know, they have you looking at a number of different combinations, uh, you know, and you can see some difference in some of these guys physically. You know, it's been mentioned that Babyon Johnson looks different. He does. He looks uh, like he's about 15 pounds lighter. and He's more put together. But, you know, they are working with different combinations. I've, I've seen, uh, you know, one day Brady Scott worked at guard and tackle. Babyon's worked at center and guard. Uh, obviously, some of this is due to the injuries you mentioned. There are about three guys that are uh, going to compete for playing time that are not out of the uh, that are not uh, are limited. I don't know if they're not practicing totally, but there's some limitations. So I think that's some of the reasons. But I'm looking forward to see how that group gels together. And I want to you know I want to look at, uh, at left tackle or guys that are lined up at left tackle. You know, Chaz Neal and Jalen Goss. Uh, you know, I looked looking forward to seeing their development. Does the light bulb come on for one of them? Uh, you know, it takes a little time to develop uh, in those big bodies. So I'm, you know, we talked with Todd Fordham, who came to Florida State as a tight end in 1992, and ended up playing 10 years uh, in the NFL as a left tackle. You know, does his light came on about his redshirt sophomore year? So uh, looking forward to watching that development. Obviously, running back. Uh, I've been very impressed with Deshaun Corbin at uh, this point in spring. He uh, looks like a very gifted player. Uh, then, of course, the tight end position as as a whole. Uh, you got Cameron uh, McDonald, who's the only returning scholarship player from last year. Um, Carter Broatwright has stood out, the true freshman who's enrolled early. And then you had Wyatt Rector, who has moved from um, quarterback to tight end, and he he's got really good hands again in shorts, but some a guy that's 
you've seen catch the ball. And uh, then, of course, Austin Wright, uh, who is a redshirt freshman, uh, does, he, physically he does not look like the same kid that he did in the fall. So uh, that's fun to see. Uh, and watching that position group is obviously going to be a uh, emphasis, a point of emphasis for everybody that covers Florida State because um, of where they stand right now. Uh, then, of course, the quarterbacks have been uh, basically splitting reps, all three of them, James Blackman, Jordan Travis, and Tate Rodemaker. And, of course, Blackman has the most experience, and you know he's, he can still throw that deep ball really well. So it's been fun to watch those guys. And then uh, Warren Thompson is uh, really flashed at wide receiver. I've been impressed with what I've seen from him so far uh, this spring. Uh, and, of course, uh, again, in shorts. But it'll be fun to see how he progresses. And then on defense, you know, Amari Gaynor, uh, you know, he looks like he's chiseled out of stone. Like he's gained about 10 pounds of good muscle weight. And then, of course, uh, Jalil McCray, uh, one of the other outside linebackers. I can't wait to see him in pads. Uh, he really flashed uh, in the. I thought he flashed a lot in the fall and in the four games that he played. And I'm, he looks like he's added some weight. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. And then they've had some position changes already in the defensive backfield. Uh, they moved Carlos Becker from safety to corner, and then moved uh, Renardo Green from corner to safety. And Coach Fuller had mentioned that. Uh, last week, but then a guy that flashes almost every day is Raymond Woody the third. Uh, you know he's an extremely talented kid. Uh, I think he's lining up at safety right now, but uh, he is somebody that flashed every day. Travis J, obviously somebody that we were hoping might play last year, but could not do to do to some things with compliance or eligibility. I'm not sure exactly what the issue was there, but somebody that uh, was not eligible early on. But you know, he's a kid that continues to impress me out there at, at, at corner. Does he have a role behind, beyond just corner, though, for this team? Because he was a big name last year, and then it kind of got glossed over as the season went on that he wasn't available to play. I, is, yeah, he, uh, is he a kick returner, yeah. too, or how are they looking at other things with him? You know what? To be honest, Tom, I have not noticed uh, him in the kick return drills, but to be, I have not I have not actually. You know, what's fascinating is going, you asked me about some things I have not seen. Uh, when they're doing kick, when they're doing kickoff return drills, they have the return guys put on boxing gloves to catch the ball. So, but I pay attention more to that than I do who's actually in the drill because <laughs> I want to know. I want to know how to catch the ball with boxing gloves on. So I couldn't do it. It'd be hard enough to catch a kickoff or a punt with two good hands. But anyway, uh, I have not. I have not seen him at, uh, flying up as a kick returner. But at the same time, I, I have not looked for him either. Hey, complete side note here, but I don't know if you've watched any of the XFL. If so, what do you think of the, the way they do kicks in that league? Uh, I think it's I think it's interesting, and safety becomes more of a concern, uh, particularly with those high speed collisions. Uh, you know, obviously, their research says that that's where most of these collisions are concussions were coming from, or a significant number. I like it. I think it's I think you know we're paying attention more to safety in football than we ever have in the history of the sport. And um I thought it I thought it was kind of um, an ingenious thing that they did. Yeah, I tend to agree. It looks really weird the first time you see it, but then you think about the reasoning behind it. It's more interesting than just having touchbacks, I'll say that, or fair catches. So uh it Yeah, would... I, I actually like it and I hope that it's something that I think that you'll see uh the NFL adopt at some point and I would imagine college football or uh, we'll do something like-minded. It might not be the same exact thing, but it certainly seems to make sense. They've had a they've had a kickoff return for a touchdown in the XFL, so uh, it's not like it's going to limit the big play. Yeah, uh, we, you still you still have the chance to bust one wide open, just like you do in the traditional kickoff. Would not, would not surprise me at all to see that that move in more into the mainstream here in future years. All right, so you commented on the quarterbacks. Uh, so we can confirm at this point that Jordan Travis does have an arm and can complete a forward pass, right? We've seen this happen in practice. I have seen him throw a football. Okay. I did not get to see him do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> he can't throw the football. So. Uh, and, you know, it's been fun to watch uh, you know, Tate Rudermaker. It's been fun to watch him. I don't think he's ever thrown as many footballs in a practice as he did on Saturday. Uh because, uh, you know, his arm, he, he definitely had a tired arm after Saturday morning. I can assure you of that. But, it, you know, he had a lot of pop on his ball early in practice. And, of course, uh, after you throw 200, 300 pa- passes in a practice, it's probably, uh, you're probably not as uh, 
Chris Butcher throws later on in practice. So he's, you know, he's, he's a guy that should be in uh, high school right now. But uh, it's it's fun. It's going to be fun to watch that position battle as we get into fall and Shubba arrives on campus and. Yeah, you know, they've got four guys competing for the starting job. Well, I'm look. I pulled out my calendar, Patrick, and August 29th. I'm going to go ahead and circle that as the day that Norvell names a starting quarterback. Now, that's the Saturday before West Virginia, and he may not name it publicly. I mean, he may play that close to the vest, but I, the real question I'm asking you is, and there's one quarterback that's going to be in this battle that's not even here yet. Do you see this going all the way through fall camp, and at what point? Just for the sake of whoever it is, do you need to let somebody, and for the team's sake, do you need to let somebody know, hey, this is going to be our starter for this game against West Virginia? You know, I think because you've got uh, two true freshmen battling uh, are going to be competing for the job, I, I think that it, you may see someone get named earlier, whether it's Blackman or either one of the two. And, you know, Jordan Travis is in this thing. Let's not discount him. Uh, you know, um, I think, you know, I obviously – you would like to have a guy with more experience. You would hope, I would think, as a coach, that um, Blackman is proficient in your offense and uh, makes quicker decisions than he did a year ago. And maybe this offense is better suited for him than what he played in last year. Uh, you know, he's always used pro-style quarterbacks in his system at Memphis. Uh, that's what James is. And so uh, you would certainly rather play a I would think unless there's just a huge gap in talent or potential, I think you would rather play an experienced player over a true freshman. We'll wrap up here, Patrick. Uh, what have you got going on uh, on the Osceola right now? I know uh, Jerry did a great retrospective, if you will, on uh, sort of tour of duty versus the old school mat drills. And, and uh, what a great day last Saturday was for FSU with, you know, the opening of a golf course and, and the basketball team doing what it, what it did. But what are you guys focusing on right now? Well, we we got a little bit of everything. Uh, we you know we're going to cover the uh, ACC tournament in the NCAA's, and uh, you got baseball at UC. You got baseball at home this week, Georgia Tech. Then they go on the road to UCF. I'm actually planning on going to the UCF games, but uh, you know we we're get we're beta testing our message boards. We're getting ready to bring message boards online as soon as we get all the the kinks worked out. We are going to expand our recruiting coverage. We're going to do a virtual recruiting board, uh, and we're doing more video content post-practice uh, than we've done in the past. So we do have a lot of new things going on, and it's a, it's a great time of the year to be a Florida State fan. There's a lot going on with, with all the sports, and all the sports are having successful seasons. And then, of course, as we, you've kind of got this spring revitalization of the football program, and uh, so plenty going on on a daily basis. There's uh, new sport. You know, we're running three to five stories a day, it seems like, uh, on the various sports. And uh, obviously, we just uh, taped our uh, second football podcast yesterday. We're hoping that'll drop today. And uh, Todd Fordham, who played at Florida State from 92 to 96, if you want to listen to a guy explain the development of not only the offensive line group, but of individual offensive linemen, you got to check out that podcast. He, Todd did an excellent job. He's a great guy. Patrick, good job. Great job as always. Appreciate it. Say hello to the fellas, and uh, we'll see you out there at the practice fields. Thank you, Tom. Hope to see you soon. All right. That is our Osceola insider and outsider this week, Patrick Burnham. Uh, he just uh, told you about all the great content they have. More information online at theosceola.com. I encourage you to subscribe. So Keith Jones has been kicked back, umbrella drink in hand, and uh, we're going we're gonna to wake the old man up and uh, continue or uh, resume conversation from Greensboro. He's at the ACC tournament. Uh, we'll bounce it back to hoops right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Tom Block back on Front Row Knowles. Thanks to Patrick Burnham. My partner, Keith Jones, rejoins us now from Greensboro and the Greensboro Coliseum, probably in the media room. What do they have? What kind of snacks do they have out there for you and Gino? I mean, what do they got? Uh, they've up? got popcorn. They've got popcorn and uh, some peanuts, uh, but I've stayed away from those. Uh, I'm waiting for the ice cream that comes out between the uh, first and second game here of the early afternoon shift. 
And, uh, you know, there's a Hooters nearby that I'm aware of the seminal sound frequency. I mean, that might be in the plans at some point this week. I'm just guessing. I am not at liberty to discuss future plans. Yes, and I want to ask you about past occurrences. So let's uh, move it along. Rather than basketball, Keith, I've gone this whole point. We talked basketball and football. Uh, have not pointed out that Mike Martin Jr. is unbeaten in his collegiate baseball head coaching career against the University of Florida. I think that he deserves an awful lot of credit for that. It's going to be tough to keep that up. Nevertheless, a 1,000 winning percentage. Congratulations to meet. How about them Gators? How about them Gators? No, I'm sitting at dinner last night with uh, David Coburn, and uh, we were watching or paying, keeping up with the game on the on the phone, and it got to be one nothing for the longest period of time. Then we went up 2 nothing, and then uh, – Starting pitcher went out who had a remarkable performance, and the, and the reliever came in, and we're continuing to watch and listen, watch and listen. And uh, when they uh, finally flashed it as a final score, uh, the smile on uh, A.D. Coburn's face could, uh, could, be, uh, could light up the room. He, he was extremely proud for and of FSU's baseball team. Keith and I are putting this show in the can, so to speak, as we typically do. And so uh, Clemson and Miami are playing at present. Apparently, they're building a brick house there from what I'm looking at on social media, Keith. But anyway. It has been, I'm sitting by Brian Kersey, the head of officials for ACC uh, basketball. And uh, we basically just looked at each other and said, this is, this is not a good half. It, it, is not, it has been a poor shooting performance. Let's hope that's not indicative of all the teams that have to play in the Coliseum this week. What I was going to say is, uh, as I'm shuffling through the always reliable uh, social media machine that is Twitter, uh, I've learned that the CBI, which is one of the postseason tournaments, if you don't make the NCAA and you don't make the NIT, you hope that you're one of the eight teams that goes to the CBI. They have canceled it because of coronavirus fears. Now, I will say that's kind of like if a tree falls in a forest, does it make a sound? I mean, I'm not sure anybody's really watching the CBI or attending in person. But uh, it, as the clock ticks, so to speak, Keith, it just feels more and more like we're headed to what we talked about in the first segment, which is uh, are, are we going to continue to allow fans to go to these postseason tournaments? Because there's a greater and greater push that is saying just don't have large crowds gather, whether it's a pro sport, college sport, concert, whatever it is. That, that feels like where we're going. Certainly the momentum is headed in that direction. And, of course, all of us that uh, are involved, uh, you know, hope that that doesn't happen, not because we think that the precautions are not necessary, but that hopefully the precautions will not be needed. But certainly you're, if you're following what's going on, that's the direction we appear to be headed. And I will say, and Keith and I aren't going to speculate about this further, but – as we know in this world, hindsight is undefeated, whether you're talking about questioning a play call or questioning a decision. And you can just look back on the hurricane front at this past year when the Boise State FSU game scheduled for Jacksonville got moved to Doak and then the weather was great in Jacksonville, which is easy to point out after the fact. Uh, and the reality here is you and I are not the ones making these decisions, but there's an awful lot of considerations that you have to take into account when you make them. And if the end result is that you play these games in front of no fans, and whether it's related or not, coronavirus doesn't spread as much as we feared, uh, that's a good thing, not a reason to say, what in the heck were you doing? I mean, it just is what it is. From a Florida, purely selfish Florida State fan standpoint, I want to go to all the games. I want them to be played in packed crowds. I want to see them in the Final Four. Um, but more than that, I, you know, you just ha you have to make these decisions. And I do want to see the games be played even without a crowd, but, but, but who knows where this will go. It's a very uh, difficult thing because it's a new thing, at least in my lifetime, and I'm sure in most of our listeners, you know, we've not had or been faced with a situation like this. So uncharted territory, as I mentioned in the first segment, the, the best phrase I've ever heard is that it's fluid and remains that way. But we'll just keep our fingers crossed, keep our prayers going up, and uh, hopefully it will turn out to be much less than we fear. We would all be happy with that, I think. We, we certainly would be. And so all that said, now we'll go back to the on-court uh, conversation because uh, as we're talking florida state is going to play tomorrow early afternoon against either miami or clemson uh, you said you'd, you'd like to see it be clemson that you feel like the team feels like they have a score to settle there uh, the flip side is you know they pounded miami last time they saw them uh, either of these teams is going to have tired legs i mean i certainly like our chances whoever it is in that game tomorrow well, that's one of the reasons why the regular season, uh, in, the importance of the regular season cannot be underestimated. 
when you get the double buy as Florida State has, and particularly when you end up being the number one seed, as all the things we talked about in the first segment are scheduled in your favor in terms of who you play and when you play because of the fatigue factor. So, again, Florida State's challenge is to execute uh, given the fact that they're in the preferential position and, uh, and take advantage of it. And, and I, I like our chances. I like the, the mentality of the kids with what little bit of time I've been able to spend with them the last couple of days. Uh, I think they understand the significance and the importance of what they're doing. I think they understand the opportunity that is in front of them. You don't get these opportunities very often, and when you get them, you'd best take advantage of them. I've got a some perspective or something that will put things in perspective. I'll do that momentarily. I want to remind our listeners, if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go say hello to Ron. He's got a great staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. They'll take care of all your power tool needs. They're at 1110 Stuckey Avenue, also 3269 Crawfordville Highway, serving the Big Bend since 1995, whether it's hand tools, chain hoist, cutting tools, laser level safety equipment, whatever it is, commercial, industrial, residential, they'll take care of you. You can call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. That's Cornerstone Tool and Faster. They've got a big on-site event going on tomorrow, Thursday, I believe from 10 to 4. They'll have some company representatives in for a couple of the manufacturers, the equivalent of what we used to call a tent sale, and uh, some special pricing on some of the portable and battery-operated things. So uh, if you got some spare time tomorrow, just run by and uh, check them out. They'll be out in the parking lot and inside. I think it'll be a great show. Good tip. Here's how we'll finish up the show. You talk about a do-it-yourself project. It's taken two decades, but what Leonard Hamilton has done, and he hasn't done it by himself, but it has been quite the building project to be now, but I w- to be where they are now. I was thinking this for perspective. If Florida State is playing Clemson, or even if they're not, Keith, there was a time when Florida State-Clemson was the play-in game for the ACC tournament. I mean, you remember the nine-team league, and Thursday night was Florida State-Clemson to see who had the right to get destroyed by whoever the top seed was the next day. So just think about that and think about where we are now in terms of just enjoying the moment and enjoying the ride. I mean, that's not that far back in the rearview mirror that that was the case. When I first started doing games 20 years ago, that was my first experience in the ACC tournament was that quote-unquote, Clemson-Florida State play-in game. I'll remind our listeners, uh, Gene and I were talking about this uh, uh, during dinner last night. When when I first started doing games, we suffered a 27-game losing streak for ACC regular season games on the road. We went almost four years without winning a single ACC road game. Those were 6-4 and four on the road this year. And, of course, a perfect 10-0 and in the regular season ACC play at home. How far has that turned in, in Leonard's time? And think about the four losses by a bucket to Pitt, one possession game till the end against Duke at the wire against Clemson, and one possession game against Virginia. I mean, it, it really uh, – congrats to all. That's, that's basically what we're saying. Uh, Keith, you've got a ringside seat. Have a great call tomorrow and uh, hopefully an extended stay. May you get many hotel points and not come back home until Sunday. I'm looking forward to my time in North Carolina, and I'm with you. I, I want the uh, uh, frequent points to add up so I can go do something on my own later on in the summer. How about that? Sounds good. Keith, we'll catch up next week. Thanks, Tommy. He is uh, KJ. I am Tom. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the ACC tournament, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week on Front Row Knowles. It's just that-